This is an ABC podcast. We can end the climate wars. Rugged up up top, tiny little booty shorts. Oh, I sold a kidney to buy that jacket. I was riding a lot of fences. Have you seen the headlines lately? Male fertility plummeting, dropping more than 60% in the past 50 years. It's enough to freak you out, but hey, when you're in your 20s, having a baby's probably not front of mind for everyone. But when we are talking about potentially the future of humanity, maybe it is something that we all need to be talking about. G'day, it's Dave Marchese with you for this sperm edition of Hack. And no, I'm, I'm being serious, it's not clickbait. We are talking sperm testing, sperm risks, sperm donors. We're getting into all of it today. Because when it comes to fertility, we hear a lot from women getting anxious and planning for the future. But boys, is this something you should be thinking about too? If you've got questions, we've got an expert. Maybe you're wondering if wearing tight jocks is actually a problem or if carrying your phone in your pocket, does that affect things? Guys, is this the kind of stuff and fertility in general you think a lot about or is it the furthest thing from your mind? I want to hear from you. Call in 1300 555536. You can message in as well 0439757555. You are about to find out more about sperm than you ever thought you wanted to know. Let's get into it. Hack. I got the microphone sperm. They got little gold medals around their little sperm necks. Yeah. On Triple J. Yeah, have you ever taken a sperm test? Because it can seem like a pretty awkward thing to do, but a lot of young guys are out there checking things out. And Hacks producer Serge Negus decided to put his hand up for the team and go find out how his fertility is looking. But first, he's been asking around the Triple J office, finding out if this is a thing that a lot of young guys are thinking about. We turn now to male infertility. It is an affliction that many struggle with in silence, and we could be headed toward a crisis. Time out, guys. We have a larger issue here. Male infertility is more common than many of us think, affecting one in 20 adult men in Australia. Uh, How big is the decline in sperm concentration? Very significant, large and continuing and accelerating faster than we had expected. Do you ever think about your sperm count? I've never really worried about shooting blanks. I think I've definitely looked at it sometimes and gone, I wonder how, like, potent it is. I think about my sperm count in the same way that I think about, like, my mum. Sometimes. (laughs) What do you mean? Well, I think about my mum sometimes, and sometimes I think about my sperm count. Yeah, I've thought about it before. I had a friend of mine who worked in a clinic where she tested sperm, and it just sort of raised a question for me about how my count would be and if it would be healthy or unhealthy. I think dudes are more kind of focused on the mushroom ropes here, where they, maybe they should be thinking more about the health of it. And it's not like I'm sitting here like a doctor counting one by one what my sperm are doing. I've never, I've never bought a microscope to check out the bad boys out, but... I would be lying if it hasn't, and pardon the pun here, swam through my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I'm just sitting in my car, stuck in traffic. I'm on my way to an appointment. Um, I've got something in my pocket. I need to get it to a lab within the next hour, otherwise it's viability declines. And yeah, I won't won't beat around in the bush. Um, I've currently got a sample of my semen in my pocket in a plastic container. It's there to keep it warm and hopefully as alive as possible before dropping it at an IVF clinic. Now, if you're a bloke, there's a chance that at some point in your life you've wondered about how good your swimmers are. Or maybe you're just wondering the impact of all those sack whacks at high school when you are a kid. Either way, I'm going to go find out. Well, my name is Shadi Kashaba. 
So I'm a fertility specialist, uh, work here at IVF Australia. Been doing this for over 10 years. Yeah, so after dropping my sample off at the clinic, they do a bunch of tests on the sperm to give you a few key numbers. But before that, they look at a few other things. So the volume is around two mil, and that's the volume of the semen, that's not the sperm. A semen is the fluid, and it's around 98% of the amount of the ejaculate. And the sperm is only 2%. Anything above one and a half mil is considered normal. Then they also look at the sperm's pH level, which is the opposite of urine, because if there's urine in the sample, it's acidic and can kill the sperm. They also look at white blood cells in the sample, which can be a sign of infection and can impact the sperm count. And finally, the big numbers. Count, how many individual sperm are present in the sample, motility, how many sperm can swim, and morphology, the shape of the sperm. Now, the major three components that we look at for is the total sperm number and the ejaculate. We want around 40 million, roughly. And that's based on studies that showed, well, fertile men that conceived within a year, the average sperm count was 40 million. So over here, you have around, around 240 million. So five times as much. Five times the number, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's very good, very good numbers. And we roughly want one third to be good swimmers. You've got two thirds. And good looking, we need 4% good looking of the sperm, and you've got 4%. So it's good enough good looking swimmers in the sample. So the sample is great. Now to wrap it up, you've got enough good looking sperm in the sample. Does that mean you're fertile? Well. I can't see any reason you're not, but I can't guarantee it. Again, the best test is to try to fall pregnant and see what will happen with the fertilization. Hack on Triple J. All right, some good news for Hacks producer Serge Negus there. And we're hearing from a lot of you on the text line. River in Bondi says, are we talking future Handmaid's Tale situation? Some dystopian future? Another person says it needs to happen. The world is overpopulated. Right, we've got a lot of thoughts on that and a lot of questions for our expert. I'm loving those. Keep them coming. If you've got any questions about sperm count, about male fertility, I want to hear them. It's time to get some of those questions answered. And with us is one of Australia's leading experts on fertility, Professor Robert McLaughlin. He's the medical director of Healthy Male, which is a great resource, a website you should all head to. It's got all kinds of information about men's health there. Also, he's a consultant and andrologist to the Monash IVF program. Hey, Rob, thanks for joining us on Hack. Oh, pleasure, Dave. First thing I need to ask, is it true, has male fertility plummeted over the last few decades? Well, there's been a lot published about the falling sperm count. Uh, It's not consistent across all countries and across all cities. Uh, There seems to be an effect, but I I wouldn't be one who says it's so dramatic that we're going to become extinct anytime soon. It's it's a cause for concern and continued study. It's hard to do because the way the people have tested sperm and the groups of people have come forward for these studies have varied substantially over the years. So it's not something that's absolutely agreed that that, uh, it's as dramatic as people have made out. Okay, because I've seen a lot of discussion about the way studies are carried out, about just the fact that we're getting better at picking up issues, maybe that has something to do with it. Do we know how common male infertility is? Yes, I'd agree that about one in every 20 men has got a fertility issue. About 30% of infertility is due exclusively to the male and they contribute to another 20%. So we have gender equity here in the sense that uh, males and females contribute similarly to the causes of male infertility. And so to give you an idea, that means that half of the all IVF cycles in Australia is partly or exclusively due to male factor. So this is common and it's a major burden for people and uh, I guess for the health budget. 
I guess that's going to be surprising to a lot of people, not thinking it was as common as yeah. you've just said there. And that's probably yeah. not something that's running through a lot of young guys' heads, especially when they are in their early to mid-20s. What kind of things cause male infertility? Well, it's usually caused by a failure of the sperm tubes uh, to make the right number of functional swimming sperm. So there's a problem inside the, the sperm tubules. Each testicle's got 150 metres of little tubule all coiled up in it. And overall, in a normal male, that machinery makes a 1,000 sperm a second. So it works really well when it works well. But for other guys, it just doesn't work. It could be a genetic problem. It could be a drug problem. It could be a, a cancer treatment or some other other sort of trauma to the testis. So there's all sorts of causes, but that's the major one. The second ones are blockages to sperm flow, so blockage to the, to the little tube that gets the sperm out into the semen. Uh, that's uh, the next most common group. Uh, the next ones are people who can't have regular sex, can't ejaculate or can't get erections. That's obviously going to stop them having children. Uh, and the least common one is, is a rare uh, hormone deficiencies like brain tumours and, and the like. But overall, 65% would be due to sperm production failure. Okay, you're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Professor Rob McLaughlin, the Medical Director of Healthy Male, also an andrologist to the Monash IVF program. Rob, we've got a lot of questions coming through from sure. guys who want to know answers to if this affects their sperm or if that affects their sperm. And if you've got questions, please send them through. We're going to mm. come back to some of those. Rob, mm. if you can stay with us for a few sure. more minutes. What we're going to do now, though, is talk about infertility in the way that we talk about it. We usually talk mainly about women and when we've spoken about it on Hack before, the conversation's generally been about women. But some new research out of IVF clinics around the country has found that male infertility is responsible for one third of couples seeking fertility treatment. And that goes to some of the stuff that Rob was just talking about. Shalala Madora has been looking into the stats. It took comedian Michael Schaefer six months to build up the courage to see the doctor about some unusual symptoms he'd been experiencing. And it took just half a day to get the results. Yeah, so I was like 26 years old and I'd just been diagnosed with testicular cancer. From there, things started happening really quickly. So I got the diagnosis on a Friday and then on Monday they removed my right testicle and then the doctors said they wanted to start chemo as soon as possible. So the plan was to then start chemo on Thursday. Testicular cancer is the second most common cancer in young men after skin cancer. And apart from forcing people to confront their mortality, it can also prompt other serious life consequences. They said that when you go through chemotherapy, there's a chance it can affect your fertility. So they said it's pretty standard practice now for men to go and do a sperm deposit before they start chemo. Michael was 26. He hadn't really thought about whether he wanted kids. Suddenly, he was confronted with some big questions. Do I want to father a child? Do I want to let my partner have access to my sperm in case I die and she wants to have a child down the track using my sperm? I mean, like, just so many incredibly deep personal questions I had to consider very quickly. A lot of us take our fertility for granted. We assume that when the time comes, it'll be easy to have kids. 
but now nearly one in ten births are due to assisted fertility treatment like IVF. In the past, uh, we have had reports of how many cycles, uh, uh, how, how many people have IVF and whether they have babies or not. Dr Karen Hammerberg is a fertility specialist from Monash University and a member of the Victorian Assisted Reproductive Treatment Authority. She says while we've been capturing the data on IVF for a while, this year's research was pretty groundbreaking. For the first time, this report, which comes out every year, actually also talks about what the reason is for having infertility treatment. As a society, we still tend to think of infertility as a woman's problem. The new IVF data puts an end to that. In about a third of of all the IVF treatments that are done in Australia, there is a a male uh, fertility problem. People like Michael, who've gone through chemo, can experience fertility problems. But as Dr Hammerberg explains, there are heaps of reasons men might not be as fertile as they think. It could be uh, blockages that that prevent sperm from from even being present in the ejaculate. Some STIs can cause blockages, P.S. It could be something like a genetic problem. It can be damage that's been caused by cancer treatment or by trauma. And you know how there seems to be this trend of young men getting vasectomies early in life, thinking they can always reverse it? If a vasectomy has been done, it is very, very difficult to reverse. 7% of men who use infertility treatment need it because their vasectomies can't be reversed. And the solution sounds deeply unpleasant. It has to be actually extracted from the testicles and that, that involves a pretty big needle. But those are some of the known reasons for male infertility. In about three quarters of cases, there is poor sperm quality and we can see that in, in the sperm analysis. But there's actually no known, known cause for that. We don't understand why certain men have, have poor sperm. There's a big age component too. Sperm quality also decreases with male age. All of this was playing on Michael Schaefer's mind when he got his testicular cancer diagnosis. He decided to get some of his sperm frozen. You know, you got to have the insurance there just in case. So I thought it'd be um, pretty silly not to do it. And he thinks men need to have tough conversations about their swimmers. I think when we talk about fertility and couples struggling to conceive, it always seems like we focus on the women and and whether or not there's a problem with her. And I always say, well, it's always good to the guy checked as well and there's some tests that I can do to check male fertility too. Hack on Triple J. Shalala Madora with that story. And hey, we got so many questions flying through on the text line right now. And keep them coming because we're going... <laughs> that's not a good way of putting it. We're going to keep asking those questions to our fertility male reproductive health expert, Professor Rob McLaughlin. He is the medical director of Healthy Male. Great website, great resource you should check out. And a consultant andrologist to the Monash IVF program. Hey, Rob, are you still with us? Yes, I, I, I am. And I, I certainly endorse what Karen was saying there, that there's really been a, a major change in our attitude to fertility practice in the last 20 years. And the male has stepped up to these, the rightful place of requiring full evaluation. If you go back, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, the guys weren't even being seen. It was their sperm count. And that was about it. But now it's obviously important that the guy be seen as part of the couple and have a full evaluation because there might be 
issues there, such as testicular cancer, we we're just hearing about, that can be picked up and, and, and addressed as well as a fertility. So I, I think the, the the new data collection system that um, we helped uh, in, institute in Australia really is going to inc- continue to increase the prevalence or the the appreciation of the male factor. Hey, it's good to see that things are changing and the conversations are changing as well. Absolutely, Rob, we've got a mm. lot of questions coming through. Like Liam has just messaged in saying, "Hey, sometimes late at night, I rest my laptop on my lap and it overheats and gets really hot. Mm. Should I be worried about the little guys?" <laughs> and it goes to some other points, like people who might yeah. have heard that you know wearing tight underwear is a problem, or maybe having your phone in your pocket. Is there anything to yeah. these? Are they myths, yeah. or is there some truth to it? There, there is some truth to the. Or each of these issues has been studied and reported, uh, not necessarily convincingly. But on the other hand, when you hear something like that, the cautionary principle applies. You know, why would you do that in case it might have an adverse effect? So, you, know, you wouldn't sit, you know, cooking your your testes under a hot laptop in your bed. You'd, you'd have a space. You have, you know, a, a air between, or the mobile phone, uh, tight, very tight boxer shorts. It doesn't take very much to change those things. And uh, if it is an effect for you, you've, you've, you've gotten around it. So I think that um, we, we hear these things. We should just take it on board and say, well, you know, just in case, why would I do that? You know? Someone else on the text line, James, says, does abstaining from ejaculating boost my sperm count? No, it does not. The amount of sperm you make per day is, is fixed. Uh, when they're released to the outside world is at your discretion, uh, but you won't change the daily production rate. One thing that uh, it's not good to do if you're trying to get fertile is uh, to you know, store it up for, for weeks uh, and then sort of hope that on that day when you think you've timed it well, you, that will help. It won't help because sperm need to be moved through the system. Otherwise, they, if you like, stagnate to a degree. So uh, generally speaking, when people are trying to get uh, pregnant, we're suggesting that at least every second day across the fertile uh, time of the week of the cycle will allow a, a good a deposition of, of fresh sperm to, to go on their on their mission. Interesting. Again, something that people might not have thought about or might have thought completely yeah. different. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Mar- Marchese speaking with Professor Rob McLaughlin about uh, male fertility and infertility. Rob, do you think there are a lot of guys out there in their 20s or do you see guys in their 20s? who might have an issue that needs to be looked into but they don't know about it or they're not sure what to look for? Well, yes, sure. I mean, unless you're pursuing fertility uh, and have reached a problem, most people won't be thinking about that. But on the other hand, if you notice something about your genitals which is of concern, like a lump, like your, your person before with the testicular cancer, or you're feeling very tired and lethargic with low sex drive that could be due to a low testosterone, um, and, and if you have noticed your testes are, are small. Now, that's an interesting point because most people don't know what a normal testicle is like, and I see a number of men with a, a common condition called Kleinfelter syndrome, which is about one in 500 men, and those guys' testes are about the size of the tip of your, sm- of your little finger. They're very, it's just a couple of mils and very few of them are aware that that's small and you come along and you find a zero sperm count and you say, Brian, your testes are rather small and they say, oh really, I, I never noticed. So so it's interesting, uh, people don't necessarily know the, the very basics and you can see all this information on the Healthy Male website. So if you, know, if you think your testes are small or there's something not right about them, go get it checked out. You know, don't, don't sort of put it off, clarify it, find out the facts and move forward. Great advice there. We've got more questions coming through. A lot of people asking whether medications like antidepressants affect sperm count and quality and other people saying, does drug use in general affect it? 
Uh, yeah, well, look, the number one drug that I don't like is smoking. (laughs) That is a really bad thing to do for sperm health and also for your health. We all know you're going to die prematurely if you smoke, but people don't necessarily appreciate that it damages the, the sperm themselves and that can have an effect on your offspring. You can actually change the way genes are structured and expressed in your sperm and that can have an ongoing effect in the embryo and indeed in the child. So we ask men to be as healthy as they can at the time they make the sperm that they will use to have their child. So it's got to be months before you actually cause a conception. Uh, And so it's not smoking and also looking at other health issues. If you're very overweight, if you've got diabetes, which is poorly controlled, if you've got any drug use, that is in part of your lifestyle, address it now. Think about that special day a few months from now or a year from now where you're going to be making your child. Make sure your sperm is as good as it can be and and get rid of the toxins. Rob, is there anything to, you know, when we're talking about women and fertility, there's always talk about the so-called fertility cliff. People are asking, Mm. is there an age where male sperm starts to lose its potency? Men remain fertile into old age to an extent. Uh, What changes as you get older uh, is the volume uh, uh, and uh, motility and uh, DNA intactness of your sperm declines. It's not nearly like in the female experience where over a period of a decade, you know, fertility becomes impossible, but it is less likely that an older man will cause a conception. And there are higher uh, miscarriage rates in the offspring of older men and also some genetic diseases more common in the offspring of older men. These effects seem to come in across your 40s. So your best year for years for re- uh, reproduction in your 20s and 30s and early 40s. Um, and of course, with your female partner, that whole issue of age is something that the two of you should talk about because after all, it's the two of you making the decision. And so a guy has to understand that whilst there are concerns for him with age, there are very profound uh, issues of biological clock with his female partner. So understanding that and, and making sure an informed decision the couple has made that respects that inevitability in the female is something that all couples should consider. Very, very interesting stuff. Thank you so much, Professor Rob McLaughlin. We're going to try and come back to you. We'll move on to another story now, but first David steps it in. He says, how many blokes are out there feeling their nuts right now? Yeah, not enough. You have to be doing that because it's an important thing to be doing. It's You're doing it for your own health. Uh, another big issue that comes into all of this as well is donating sperm. Because even if you're not thinking of having a kid yourself, maybe this is something you've thought about because Australian sperm donor clinics are actually struggling. The demand for sperm donors has been increasing over the past decade. And that's because states and territories have changed laws to allow same-sex couples and single women to use IVF and also requirements that make it more time time-consuming to become a donor has affected the number of donors. So now, like everything else, it's all happening on the apps. People want to be sperm donors, potential parents. They're connecting online to try to find donors and to try and give their donations. It's pretty wild. Edwina Story's been chatting with some people involved. People are a lot keener than I expected. That's David. He's 28, has two cats, is a gamer and lives in Queensland. And he has recently become a sperm donor. Like the insemination that I did, we've been talking for about a day. And then she just goes, hey, look, I'm ovulating. Can I come to your house? He says he was drawn to donating sperm when he realised how tough it could be for people who had reproductive challenges or time limits to having kids. But also for some personal reasons. It's sort of like my legacy is secured, you know what I mean? If I'm being honest. 
I found David on an Australian sperm donor app where you can swipe through people searching for sperm, eggs or surrogates. Like Tom, 22, 90 kilometres away. I like to hunt. I work currently. I'm a little overweight, but no health issues. Taylor, 25, 110 kilometres away. Young woman looking to have her first baby. I love art, animals and science fiction. If people match on the app, they might chat for a bit and talk about whether they're open to co-parenting or if it'll just be like a strict donation-only thing. And then they discuss how they might do the donation, like natural insemination, which is penetrative sex, or artificial insemination, which might be coming in a cup and using like a turkey baster kind of thing or going through an IVF clinic. There's actually a bit of a sperm donor shortage in Australia because the numbers aren't really keeping up with the demand. To be a registered donor, like on the books of an IVF clinic, you often have to do several counselling sessions and some pretty extensive health checks. But the donation apps and Facebook groups can kind of get around those requirements. Monash IVF recently did a call out to get more registered Australian sperm donors. We can always do with more sperm donors and recruiting is sort of often uh, a challenge. That's Dr Luke Lamore from Monash IVF. He says there's definitely been an increase in the demand for sperm donors, especially from single women and same-sex or gender-diverse couples. And if anything, we did notice a little bit of exacerbation of our problem when COVID hit. So our demand for sperm didn't, didn't reduce. Uh, in fact, it probably increased. But Dr Luke cautions people from doing donations outside of clinics or off the books because... Outside of a formal process where things aren't being watched, someone could potentially coerce you into um, paying for, for a donation. And also, I guess there's limitations on how much of their medical history and testing that they might have had done that may not be checked and may not be truly available to you. Oh, my name's Jack. I'm 23. Uh, I work at McDonald's. I live a pretty solitary lifestyle. Uh, I like video games quite a lot. Jack has donated once so far to a lesbian couple he met on a donor Facebook group. The donation that I gave to them was my first child to um, come into existence. Uh, so it was a bit of a, a strange sort of feeling. He's met the kid a couple of times and gets photo updates from the parents, but that's pretty much the extent of his relationship with them. Uh, I told my dad, but uh, he wasn't so thrilled about it, I suppose because it was my first child. Um, it was just a bit of a shock to him, but he came to accept it after a while. Jack says he's seen some dodgy kind of stuff on some of the donor groups. It surprised me how easy it is to get access to people in a vulnerable position, especially because a lot of the guys who go onto these groups and that are only looking for natural sex. And I've seen a lot of posts where guys take advantage of that and um, they'll say they'll be fine with artificial insemination. That's the come-in-a-cup turkey-based-up method. I just read a post uh, recently on Facebook where a couple drove nine hours to go meet up with this guy. And when they got there, he insisted on natural sex instead. And how the baby is conceived, like if people use penetrative sex or they use the turkey baster method or IVF, that actually influences the rights of the donor and the parents. If you use natural insemination, you know, sexual intercourse, then the donor is automatically the legal parent. That's lawyer Nicole Evans, who often works with people who are using donors to conceive. If you use artificial insemination, then they're covered under the Family Law Act and they're deemed to be a donor. So there's a big difference. She helps people draw up contracts with donors to specify 
whose rights are whose. It's not uh, a legally binding contract because you can't contract out of your responsibilities in relation to a child, but it's certainly a helpful document to have if things did go wrong and you ended up in court. But it's helpful to have something in writing anyway because... You can have an agreement prior to the child being born, but once the child's born, circumstances of each of the parties change and particularly donors, I find, once they see their child, do decide that they want a level of involvement and that's when it becomes complicated. Back to David. He reckons the sense of altruism is really satisfying and encourages people to consider donating. Look, if you've ever given blood, the smug sense of self-satisfaction you get from altruism is way bigger. I mean, if you're anything like me, you probably produce a sperm sample three or four times a day anyway when you're on your own. Oh, so much to go around. So you can put it to use. And um, if you ever need a cup or a sample, let me know. Thank you. (laughs) Hack. On Triple Jack, Edwina's story there. And yeah, look, as we just heard from experts, a lot of issues with those apps, not as simple as it seems. There's all kind of regulations, rules that need to be considered. Hey, we're almost out of time, but we want to wrap things up with our reproductive health expert, Professor Rob McLaughlin. Hey, Rob, what do you think the takeaway for young guys should be here? Like, what should they know or be thinking about when it comes to fertility, even in their early 20s? Well... I think we need to appreciate it, that our health and our health behaviours can have effects on our body but also on our testes. So, you know, wearing protective uh, gear during a contact sport, having a mumps vaccination, very important because that can cause infertility, uh, uh, ensuring that uh, you don't get STIs, safe sex practices, all that sort of stuff is just you know, getting set for what might be a very important phase of your life. Many young guys are not thinking about children, but when you ask them about what they see in 10 years' time, they think, well, you know, I'd like to have a family one day. Well, you know, one day kind of starts today. Start ensuring that your general health is as good as it can be, protect your testes, and when you start to have a a family, appreciate that the work begins before conception to make sure you're making the best sperm on the day. If you know you've got a fertility problem, you must see somebody as a couple that will evaluate the male and the female partner. The days are gone where it's just women's business. We've heard that. You need to be checked out because there could be something important that comes up for your health or even a treatment that can get around the problem. So I think uh, just be aware of the issue. And I think there's a lot of discourse like this program today that's making that happen. So I congratulate you for that. It's interesting stuff. And we're so glad to have had you. Professor Robert McLaughlin from Monash IVF program. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. And so much more information available on the healthymail.org.au website. So many resources there. Hack on Triple J.